Hello and welcome to Thought Jar, a podcast run by high school students where guests share their unique perspectives on arts, education, society, and more. I'm Lorraine. I'm Janet. And we are your hosts for this episode. Today we're joined by Samuel and Stephen, both of whom have just finished their first year at the College of William and Mary. Hi. Hi. I'm Stephen. So Samuel is an international student from China. He is an economics and international relations double major and also a photographer for the college newspaper. Stephen was born in the United States but grew up in Yunnan until he went back for college. He is a Chinese and economics double major and basketball enthusiast. Both are preparing to be leaders in their church small group next year. Today in this episode, our two guests will share with us their experiences in William and Mary from different angles and discuss some tips for college. The last college student we interviewed, Mona, she um, left, I guess, the both of you a question. Mm-hmm. And uh, when we finish this, you can leave some question for the next person okay. as well. Um, so her question is, American culture is uh, very different from what we grew up with. I assume that will be true for the both of you. Yeah. And while getting to know your schoolmates, how do you interact with people who may have values and lifestyles very different from your own? And did you have perhaps a new and challenging social encounter? And how do you respond? For me, I would say that, you know, since I got there, I had to like keep in mind that these people um, are from a totally different cultural background than I'm from. Just I just need to keep that in mind that they might uh, do different things and say different things other than you know I would naturally do. And I and the thing for me right now is to try and understand and just try not to be offended by whatever it is they they say, or just try to make myself comfortable. I would say mm-hmm. also. Um, first year, like first semester, I was like actively trying to like uh, talking to people and doing things with people, you know, um, according to, you know, uh, American custom and American culture as I understand it, which looking back now is a very skewed and not comprehensive understanding of American culture. So that means that uh, first semester I ended up doing um, and saying quite a lot of things that um, that might not be the best things to say and the best things to do in certain situations. So like, it's I definitely think that uh, cultural shock is very real, especially for international students. And we can't like it's gonna happen. There's no way that we can just smoothly slide from one culture into the other culture. That's some good points there, and like kind of going off what you said, Samuel. Like for me. Like, I'm not, like, your traditional, like, international student. So, like, I grew up in an American household in China. So, like, for my American household, like, we still had some American culture and, like, customs in our household. And also, we would go back and visit relatives in America. So, I understood some of the basic, like, ground rules of customs. So, for me, I came back before the summer started. So, I kind of took, like, the summer time to, like, kind of get used to, like, American customs and culture. And then when I when school started, I just spent my time, like, just being open and being like, the term they use is vulnerable, like just being like very direct and honest with people because that kind of is what American culture is about in a way. And for me, like growing up overseas, I've gotten used to like 
not spending a lot of time with friends before I have to say goodbye because they kind of leave and like move on. So I've gotten kind of used to being able to get close to someone really fast. So I was able to use that then in the cultural aspect of America, which for good or for bad did help me make a lot of friends. But I haven't, I have yet to make some really close, close friends who are American, like from our college yet. I just have gotten like the surface level. Yeah, I, I would say the same for myself mm -hmm. as well. Like it's it's not hard to, um, so even with the cultural shock and the cultural differences, it's not that hard to just make friends and make acquaintances, but it is hard to like go deeper. And that's something I've not yet been able to do. Yeah, that, that takes a lot more time and like understanding of the culture as time goes on. So um, this is a question for Stephen. Would you call yourself a third culture kid? Um, did you ever struggle with belongingness or identity? And how can other kids like you build their sense of belongingness? I would definitely call myself a third culture kid, uh -huh. like just because I'm coming from an American family, but I'm living in China. Like in China, people always term me as like the foreigner, like the white boy, uh -huh. which means like the foreigner, even though I've been here for 15 years. And then going back to America, I'm also known as like, oh, that kid from China. So like, I don't really have like a main culture that kind of suits me. So I feel like then for like finding a place of belonging, like identity, you kind of have to look at like what you've done in a way and like, and like who you know. So kind of like, like so one thing is that my parents have helped me find that identity. Like, and they're like, oh, I'm like, I'm a brother or I'm like, I'm a son. They like me, like they love me a lot. So that's my identity. But also through the fact that like, I, I play a lot of basketball. So like, and basketball exists in China and America. Mm -hmm. So like kind of finding things like, maybe it's food or sports, for, and for me it's sports, that kind of spans the culture. Oh. So like I have friends from basketball in China and friends from basketball in America. And I can talk like the same words and the same phrases just in Chinese or English. And they mean like the same things to Americans and Chinese because basketball as a sport is universal. So I think for, for my advice for other third culture kids is like finding an activity or like something you like to do, like a hobby, like mm -hmm. maybe like piano or like photography that you know people in foreign countries like to do as well. And then that provides you with a stepping stone to create relationships in other countries where you might not feel like you belong because you have like that thing to share with them. You can talk about like a common goal, like a common activity that you've done before. Building up on that, and you guys mentioned this a little already, so would you say that this um, sharing of common interests also extends to maybe all international students and how we can make friends in college through these um, common interests? And actually having the backgrounds both of you have, how do you adjust to American I think each international student is different mm -hmm. and they might not be as outgoing or as extrovert as I am. So sometimes it might not be something you do. It might be certain things you might talk about with people. So like basketball is an activity because I talk to people as an extrovert, but I feel like maybe Samuel has a different perspective because you're more introverted. Yeah. So like, have you found anything like that helps you relate to people? Yeah, or? for sure. Um, I think the thing that you know, helped me the most to relate to people uh, is is my faith because I'm a Christian and you know there are Christian um, organizations on campus and that sort of help, helped us bond a lot because I don't because other than that I, I, I do have other interests but not interests that I can utilize very well to make con to, to make connections so like I feel like my faith definitely has played a tremendous part mm -hmm. in 
and me getting to know a lot of uh, people from the U.S. Um, so I heard that you both are doing double majors. Congrats. Um, why did you choose these majors, like Chinese and economics? Um, I, I sort of chose economics because I was always sort of interested in it. I was interested in the social aspect of societies and how you know, just everything you know, fits <laughs> together, uh, you know, resources, labor, uh, interest rates, things like that. So it's always kind of interested me since like the 10th grade or so. And like my, my dad is also an uh, econ major, so oh. that definitely sort of played a role in my choosing that. Um, international relations, I was interested in, in, in international relations because um, it, is, um, it is related to economics, but it's far broader. It is a multi, an interdisciplinary uh, studies that, you know, at least in our college, it relates economics, history, sociology, and politics, these four different subjects. So it's it's far broader, and um, and I'm I I personally I am very interested in, in, in history as well. So mm -hmm. it feels like a good complement to economics. Um. And like and like the classes overlap quite a bit. So it's it's not that hard of 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 two majors to take. Um. So the reason I chose economics is kind of similar to Samuel. Uh, though my dad's not an econ major, I've always been fascinated with stuff related to like business or economics. And then my senior year, I actually took uh, AP macroeconomics. And the teacher I had, I, I really liked. And, like there's a lot of fun stuff. And Samuel took the same class. Just I, think, I don't think I was at the same time at a different time. Yeah. But and then I'm like, this actually it really interests interests me, and it's also very practical. So like I feel like economics, like it, for me, it all makes logical sense. Like sometimes like some literature that I won't. I don't fully understand, it's kind of complicated. Like economics makes like logical sense for me. And so I feel like that's something that I kind of understand and I like, and that's the path I want to go with my majors. I understand it and I like it. And now of course I don't understand all the economics, there's some very complicated parts, but like I'm just learning to like enjoy the process of learning as mm -hmm. you go along. And then for Chinese, it's, well, I, I can speak fluent Chinese like because I've grown up here for 15 years so then for me, I kind of want to have an academic representation of my Chinese language and cultural understanding. And I feel like for me, as someone who people look at me, and obviously I'm, I'm white and I'm American, they're going to be like, oh, he's a random person you would see on the street and not bat an eye at. But for, for me, then having that academic representation of my language skill is kind of like something I can give to companies. Like, this is proof that I actually do speak Chinese or actually have majored in Chinese. And I will be honest, Chinese major isn't that hard for me <laughs> because I can speak fluent Chinese and I understand Chinese culture. So I still have to work and it still work, but I feel like I already have a step up and most students are coming from an American background. So it, it's kind of like a major that I feel like is not that hard for me to attain as long as I do the work. Just kind of out of curiosity, but um, to, to what level of Chinese do you, do you study as a Chinese major? Do you need to I study the ancient uh, old Chinese texts as well. So different classes will teach you different things. From the, uh, the more basic Chinese classes, you learn more characters and like pronunciation and speaking. Uh, I am taking a class this coming semester that will study the classics and the classical Chinese text, but the class is taught in English. 
So I think we'll be reading the text in Chinese with the class, like the instructor will speak in English and give us assignments to do in English. Mm -hmm. So there might be some level of translation involved. But the classes I took last semester were more about media and then society and culture, like modern day or like some historical stuff or like modern day articles that we'll read and write Chinese essays on. And that class was taught entirely in Chinese. So it was a very comprehensive class that I was able to learn a lot because the instructor spoke Chinese mm. to the students. Actually sounds very interesting. I feel like we, we don't even get to yeah. have the Chinese yeah. media class yeah. here. To add to that, it really is very interesting. I, I never took the class, but from what Stephen has told me, it is, it is very interesting. They were memorizing vocabulary words that I may or may not know, like, <laughs> like legal terms, things like that. And like they have to write papers responding to like uh, struggles within the Chinese societies and things like that. Yeah, I think that's just about it. Yeah, like they kind of they've mentioned like Jack Ma or Ma Yun. And like we, we, we ha I know like it's like the randomest person you wouldn't expect. Like they had like an article that I read about him, and then like we had to write an essay related to that. And like and then my final exam had an essay that I could choose to write on that topic. And it's like talking about like how his fall from grace and like how that happened, like how that's been influenced by the Chinese government and stuff like that, that I would never expect to, to learn. But still, it's like because I have the cultural understanding I have from living here, I understand that a lot. Like, yeah. I get the reasons why like stuff like that happens. Yeah, I have. It's it's not just with the Chinese major. I think it's very interesting to look at like Chinese culture in China as as a country from an uh, American point of view. I've chat, chatted with multiple classmates about you know elements of Chinese culture ranging from like how the Chinese government works like mm -hmm. oh is is there is there a TV show that oh that I that I personally know in in Chinese that they had to mention in English and I have to look it up what it actually is and when I found out I'm like oh you studied that <laughs> which is very surprising and there were people like multiple people were talking to me about the romance of the three kingdoms and 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 like they were they were they had like basic knowledge of like uh, how the story works of what were, the, what were the main characters like that so that was very very surprising to me yeah, I, I wouldn't expect that and it, it even sounds like you guys might know more about my own culture <laughs> than I do just just based on the education that we the next question since I mean, even if there is overlap, I imagine double majoring is still definitely more work. So how do you balance your study and your social life? I have a pretty full social life, so I will admit I don't balance it as well as I should. So I should probably balance it a little bit better, but I think like having, I try to set aside times where I know that I will do homework and like not do social stuff. And I've also had to learn to say no to people. Like, that's not always the most easiest skill. So, like, people will be like, oh, we want to go watch a football game in the afternoon. I'm like, okay, sure, let's go watch the football game. And then afterwards, they're like, we want to play basketball. And I'm like, I'm sorry, I can't. Like, I love playing basketball, but I have homework to do that I didn't do because of the football game. So, like, it's kind of learning, like, how to balance out. And you're going to have a limitless opportunities of stuff to do in college like you're gonna have a lot of choices so it's less about finding things to do and more about choosing which things to do mm -hmm. if that makes sense so like I, I know I'm gonna have these assignments I try to plan ahead so I have assignments to do this coming week so if I'm aware of those assignments I can then know like 
what I have to do and I can balance my time accordingly. So I'll use Google Calendar, same I'll use Google Calendar as yeah. well, yeah. to have like everything, or at least write it down on like a piece of paper and then put it in the Google Calendar. So I can then see, oh, I have an assignment due tomorrow that I'm not done yet, so I won't go out tonight to hang out, if that makes sense. Okay, um, I, I think the most important thing, like one of the most important things here is to like set your priorities right. Uh, you must be you know, very intentional about what exactly you want to do. Mm -hmm. um, either you want to focus on social life more or academics more, just um, you, 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 like, you, you have to choose. There's so much possibility, as uh, Stephen said in college, that you really just have to choose like, which ones you want to spend your time on. For me, um, first semester, I took a lighter course load. Um, which means I have a lot more time to like check out clubs, um, at, at different activities, uh, what they're doing, you know, whether I'm interested in them. Mm -hmm. But like second semester, I'm um, I, I'm taking a lot more classes, so I don't have that much time. Which means I can't really, I don't don't really have the time or the mental like effort to like uh, to like socialize outside my established circle of friends. So like basically second semester, um, there is I'm just consolidating you know my relationship with my existing friends other than like reaching out uh, more uh, to people that I don't really know. So Google Calendar does help a lot, uh, as Stephen also mentioned. Um, um, like in high school, we don't have I like like personally I don't have that much activities to keep track on, so I never really had a schedule. I just had it all in my mind. In college, it's 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 different. You would like sign up for a for a talk or a lecture that's uh, that's like maybe two weeks away, and you have to be there, or or else or, or else you're gonna miss it. And you know if you don't like for me, if I, I started out not having like a calendar or a schedule, and I missed um, a number of things, and I don't want to do that. So uh, calendars help a lot. Yeah, I, d I definitely agree. Being able to visualize things is very important, mm -hmm. and just having information that you can quickly and conveniently review with regards to plans you have. Like I have a whiteboard in my room that I'll write stuff down that I have to do. Like, mm -hmm. oh, I have this assignment due today, or I have this talk tomorrow, or Samuel and I have this event on yeah. Wednesday. Like, you, if you write that down, you can mm -hmm. then un you, you can then know what you have to do, and you won't be afraid about missing things. Thank you. Those are really good. I just kind of have a question, like, how many hours do you guys spend on your assignments every day, on average? It's very different between us two. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's very different. Um, this past semester, I'm taking six classes, and um, I calculated, like, for, for, for two, for, like, one class, uh, I had to spend a total of 12 hours every week, plus, plus class time. That is my most time-consuming class. The other class is like nine hours, eight hours, seven hours. But like it's it's around that plus class time, so it's not that bad. Twelve hours of homework, I would not survive. For me, it's probably a little bit less than Samuel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I wasn't as dedicated or as as Samuel is. I, I still try to get it done, but for me, it was a problem. probably about spend about an hour a day on average for for each class's homework, and like so then like I only took four classes, so that I spend about four hours a day on homework and outside of class time, which is class time is about three hours a week total for, for each class. So it's about, 
like probably about 10 hours a week per class, mm -hmm. which when it comes down to it is quite a decent bit of time. Yeah. But with college, you're living at the school, so you have 24 hours a day to do stuff, whether you want to sleep or hang out with friends. Yeah. So like I probably spend about five, five hours on homework, but it would be like maybe a class at 10 a.m. to like 11 a.m. And then I would do homework from like 1 to 3 p.m. And then I would hang out with friends for like six hours and do homework from like 10 to midnight. Like you have yeah. a lot of flexibility with how you spend your time. Oh. Like there's lots of leeway. Yeah, and also the workload. And honestly, it's up to how many classes you choose to take. Like you can take like four classes as, as Stephen did, or you can take more classes. Uh, it's just honestly, you know, up to like what your priorities are, whether you want to focus on academics more or other aspects of your life as well. And also you have a lot more freedom in terms of your schedule as well. So I'm an early bird. I tend I prefer to I prefer to have like to have my classes in the morning or at least late afternoon. So I wake up early. Like I like I would be up at um like eight thirty the latest. Um, Steven is different and and I'll let you talk about that. Well I'm more of a night owl, hence the doing homework until midnight. So last semester, my earliest class was 11 a.m. any day of the week. So I had a schedule where I woke up around 9.30 or 10 every day, and I, I could afford to do that because I would have time before each class. So I'd probably go around to bed around 1 or 2, which is pretty late, but so people in our dorm would also go to bed pretty late, so I would hang out with them in the lounge. So what I would usually do is do homework, and then around midnight, I'm getting tired, so I would go hang out with them, and I would get some social time and time like, to build friendships and talk with people. So I would usually be done with my homework around midnight or so, and if I had an assignment I had to do the next day, I would just keep working until like 1 or 2 a.m. So it's just like we have the same amount of time to do work, we just do it at different times of the yeah. day. So what skills should a prospective econ major have before going to college? For example, would taking classes like statistics or AP macro micro economics help? Yes, it would, it would help a lot. Stat and uh, econ would definitely help. Um, calculus would help as well. Uh -huh. um, so like I think I think those four are like the main high school classes that you can take in, prepare, in preparation for majoring in econ. Yeah, I would agree. AP Stats, AP Calc, mm -hmm. and then AP Macro and AP Micro would be really cool because I feel like no matter which college you go to, they all have topics that are generally related to that. And even if you don't do well in the AP and you take the class again. You're, you need the credit for college anyway. So you're already gonna have the basic understanding of those topics, so the class will definitely be much easier for you by having that knowledge. So I took AP Macro this last semester and I'd already taken it in high school. And I only got a three on the AP exam because I didn't study as much as I should have. But taking the class in college, even though I only got a three, I took it again and it was good practice because I'm taking the class at the school I'm going to get my major instead of just in high school, so I, I can learn a little bit more. But also I had the background from my high school class, so the class wasn't too hard for me because I understood the material because it wasn't completely foreign and completely new. So, so definitely taking as much information as you can earlier in high school can help you for college, even if you don't take the exam or you don't get a good score. It's just the knowledge that you have will help you a lot more. Yeah. So, so basically, um, I'm just going to walk over the, uh, the major requirement for econ. You need uh, stats in college. If you, if you took stats in high school, you may be able to get out of that. You need 
uh, intro, micro, and macro, which you can get out of if you, if you score well on the AP exam. And uh, calculus, they, well, our college doesn't really require it, but if you took calculus, it helps a lot uh, when, you know, when, when, you, when you go higher up and there's more math involved. Um, so it's mainly um, like general knowledge you can get from classes and also certain math skills. Don't need as much in like English or Um, maybe in the higher level. I know, I know we do have like a major writing component to uh, our econ major as well. We have to take a, a class that's more focused on reading, writing, social problems, things like that. Um, so I, I, I think I think it would help a lot as well with uh, strong English skills, reading skills, writing skills. I think it also depends on which major you're planning to go into. Because if you're planning to go into an econ major, then I feel like you can study English, you can study history, but that won't provide as direct a help yes. as calculus or stats will because in high-level econ, which I haven't reached yet, you will use calculus. And then you will use statistics. I took a statistics class this past semester. And you will definitely use AP Micro and AP Macro. So like you'll definitely use concepts that you'll learn like the supply or demand graph or like the p-score in like a statistics class like you will learn about that in high school and then you will apply that in college but with english you'll learn information like maybe grammar structure how to write a paper and you apply that in economics but it's not as direct an application as you would with the other four classes so i feel like it's always helpful to have prior information with like english classes or literature classes mm -hmm. But the benefit isn't as immediately recognizable as you would have from like a statistics class or a math class. So, what careers do economics prepare you? Um, we we talked about this uh, a long time ago in econ class. I think like a lot of econ majors go into government, they go into corporations, they uh, they can go into a lot of different professions. So, like honestly, it's just up to where you take it. Um, I know I know my dad is an econ major. He He's doing trading now with like manufacturing things like that. Based on my knowledge, a lot of people who study econ will either major in another class or another area of study or minor another area of study, and then will apply econ to that area of study. There's different paths you can take with econ. Like there's capital trading, which is like banking. There's investing. There's international trade. There's consulting. Like there's lots of different areas you can go into. Econ kind of provides you with the overall base skill, mm -hmm. and then if you go to grad school, you can like focus on a specific topic that can help you with that, like in, in graduate school. So for us studying econ, I'm considering going into like international business, mm -hmm. but I'm not majoring in international business, I'm majoring in econ because that's gonna provide me with the general skills. And then companies, maybe with regards to international business, will see that I'm an econ major and might hire me to do different positions. It's like there's no one career like a doctor or a lawyer that it'll prepare you for, but it can help you like keep lots of doors open if you're not sure where you're going. I'm kind of curious about your other majors. Like, what careers do like international relations prepare you? International relations. Um, most people taking international relations are are trying to get into the U.S. State Department. Oh. Like they would, um, I know, I know people want to like work on and at a um, U.S. embassy, like overseas. Like it sort of prepares you for that. And you could also do 
uh, consulting, things like that for corporations as well. Um, so yeah, there, there are a lot of possibilities for IR as well uh, as you come. Um, tell us about your favorite class you've taken so far. Why was it your favorite and what's one fun or fascinating thing you did for it? I think for me, I've taken so many different kinds of classes that's hard to find a favorite. But maybe one of my most insightful classes was a class I took about economic confidence and social mood, which is a very unique title, but it's basically about behavioral economics. And it was a writing class, but it was about how people react to changes and like the mood of society and how confident people feel. So like a basic example, people feel really confident that a bank is going to work. They're more willing to put money into that bank because they feel safe about it. But people feel less confident about how a bank is going to work. They're more likely to take money out of the bank, right? So then if everyone feels not confident about the bank and I take the money out, the bank's going to collapse. So it's kind of with regards to that, that confidence people have. But also when people are confident, they will buy different items and they'll feel differently. So like basically during COVID, people were a lot less confident about society because they didn't know what was going on. Like you're more scared because COVID you can't really control, right? Like the government has a lot of regulations that you can't control or just the virus itself, we don't know where it is. So people are more likely to stay at home more, even without the government's help or buy less like products and less likely to invest overseas because they're more focused on like things near them. Like oh, kind of like in war, like you don't have time to go worry about what's going to happen in 20 years with the the bank because you don't know if you'll live for the next 20 years. So when things are uncertain, when you're less confident, you're more likely to focus on things that are like very certain and very close to you. So the, the entire class taught me about stuff like that and then how to observe different factors about that and how to apply that to business and marketing techniques. So I really enjoyed it because I'm a big people person, I'm a big extrovert. So I like figuring out how people think and how they feel. So with regards to economics then, like I can kind of determine like, oh, like how to do marketing techniques, like how to apply it to where that people are going to enjoy it. And I, I really like that. So, but it was writing and I'm not a big writer. So <laughs> it was kind of challenging, but I still enjoyed it a lot. Cool, cool, very cool. Um, one of my favorite classes, probably photos more. Um, <laughs> it's the class that I, that I mentioned that I had to spend like 12 hours a week on. It's like the most, time-consuming class I have taken or probably I will ever take. So basically we had to use like a very old, like the camera is not, it's not actually old, but the uh, structure, like it's just a, a very complicated camera to use and it takes about 15 minutes to set up and take one photo and it's on film. So I have to process that, that film and then I have to use an enlarger to print that film, which takes forever. The like, process is, is just, it's just amazing. It's just amazing. It's um, you, like once I process the paper, you, there's originally nothing on the paper, but when, it, when an image appears on, on that paper, like once you put it into the chemical, like the process is just magical. And, and it is, it's definitely time consuming. It is, it is stressful, but not in the sense that, you know, you have to prepare for an exam, you have to write a paper, that kind of stressful. But like you have to you know, really put in the effort to get the results that you, you, that you wanted. Um, so that is definitely one of my favorite classes. Mm -hmm. um, another one is um, Intro to International Politics. Um, I love that class for totally different reasons that I love photo one. That class, 
um, sort of introduces me to international politics. Before I took that class, international politics, I was like, oh, I don't understand it. What are these nations doing? What are these leaders thinking in their head? Like after I took that class, I sort of had a general idea of like how international politics works and it sort of gave me a framework to like sort of look at everything. I definitely don't understand a lot of other things, uh, like a lot of things about international politics, but definitely, you know, after that class, I, I, I can see like on the news, oh, I, I, I see this theory playing out uh, with uh, US and, and Iran or something like that. So yeah, our professor for that class is great. He could just talk straight for like one hour and everyone would just be so interested in, whatever, in everything he has to say. And it's just, it's just amazing. I, yeah. Yeah, those both sound really cool. And actually on that note, so how do you pick and find these courses that you like or are best for you? And basically, maybe you can walk us through your process and course selection. So our course selection process is not a lot of people like it. It's kind of complicated. But basically what happens is every person is given a time slot during a certain given day or two. And we have a list of courses on our website, on our school website, that has every single course that the college offers. And you can search by major, you can search by type of course that it is. And each course will have a number by it, which is called the CRN number, which I don't know what that stands for, but it basically is a designation for the course that each course has a unique number. Mm-hmm. So then during registration, you, you go to the registration website and you enter that number in and then afterwards you click register and it'll tell you if it's full or if you can register for it or not. So it's, it's a pretty straightforward process, but some of the complications are not all the classes have enough seats for everyone, some are more competitive. So sometimes when you register you have to be very quick, like within 10 seconds to like get the class, like so sometimes you don't always get it. But if you don't get a class that you want, you can email the professor directly and request what's called an override. So an override is basically the professor, if the class has enough seats, he'll let you into the class and he'll give you authority to then register for the class online. So it's kind of a multi-stepped, very detailed process, but it is relatively straightforward. You find the classes online that you want. The course list has information regarding each class. It says the time, it says the date. Then you go and remember that course's number, you register for that course, and you either get the course or you don't. If you don't get the course, you can contact the professor or you just find a different class instead. Okay, okay. In, in terms of how we chose the class, um, we have to look at our, grad, our, our graduation requirements, our major requirements, uh, things like that, and also like the classes we're interested in. So like weeks, maybe like one week before registration, we would just be looking at everything, um, trying to figure out, you know, what sort of plans we have, uh, and you know, like what classes I want, we want to take, and we would have to like choose backups for a lot of these classes just in case we don't get into them. Um, and and also for for our college, I, I don't know if this is the same for other colleges. Uh, seniors get the first pick, and then juniors, and then sophomores, and then freshmen. It's like impossible to get into like higher end classes if you're a freshman. But you know we'll we'll have time you know, in our you know junior and senior year since we get first pick. A lot of time people who are freshmen try to get 
the college requirements because we're a liberal arts school. William and Mary has some classes, some types of classes that everyone has to take. Mm -hmm. So for example, my economics class I talked about is a writing class. It's a type of class that every freshman has to take. They can just take it in different topics. Like there's different topics that they can take it with regards to that type of class, which is a writing class. So we try to knock those requirements out as soon as possible so that when you come to later, later years, like juniors or seniors, you've already gotten the requirements out of the way and you have more time to take elective classes or classes that are fun, like maybe sports economics or like intro to speech or like acting one, like fun classes that people would enjoy that usually fill up pretty quickly. So you have to kind of pick and choose when to take certain classes each year. So, and then one other way that we find out how to take a class is like you can talk to people to me as a big extrovert, I would be like, oh, does anyone know someone who's taken this class before? Is it good? Or like, I would ask someone in my, in my dorm, like, is this class hard? So maybe they took it last semester and they say, oh, it's not too bad, you can take it. Like, so you kind of listen to people talk, you hear what people say, and you can know if a professor is a good professor or not a good professor, if they're strict or if they allow a lot of stuff, like you can kind of determine that from talking to people. Yes, also check ratemyprofessor.com. It's, it's, it's very useful. And um, you, you learn a lot more about the professor and the class they're teaching up there. And professors are very important. They can, they can make or ruin your class experience. So by, by going on Rate My Professor, they'll give you a rating for the professor out of five. And any student can leave anonymous comments with regards to that professor. So sometimes there'll be comments like, this professor is really great, I like him, their class was hard, but this is why it was hard, you learned a lot. Other times, like this professor is not very good. He doesn't have, he doesn't teach very well. He kind of just talks or shows slides. Some professors don't teach anything. They just have their slides and they just read the slides, and that can be really boring and not very engaging. And as freshmen or sophomores, you really don't know what professor is like that. So by finding out information from online websites like Rate My Professor, you can kind of determine if it's a good professor or not, and if you want that class. Okay, so. William and Mary is not a Christian school, and um, what is the atmosphere for faith like within it? Is it like welcoming, hostile, or indifferent? Um, it's pr I would say it's pretty complicated since uh, we, we are actually a public school, so we mm -hmm. do get a lot of different people from different backgrounds that may or may not share sympathy for Christianity. Um, so, but, but like on campus, if you say if you say you're a Christian, people won't treat you like very differently. Like you will still be accepted. So, basically, um, as long as you don't like judge what other people are doing, like people will accept you as a person. So, like I feel like any college in America, and because Christians are so common and Christianity is such a common religion in America, people are used to interacting with Christians and hearing that yes. people are Christians. So at William & Mary specifically, people won't give you outright persecution for being a Christian. There's more just indifference. Like, okay, you're a Christian, that's cool. I'm not, that's cool. We live our lives like that. Which for some Christians is hard because it's hard to share the gospel or spread your faith because sometimes people aren't willing to hear and they're less curious. So then, as a Christian, a lot of times it's less about maintaining your faith. Like, you'll probably maintain your faith because no one's going to challenge it. And it's more about growing your faith. It's really hard to grow your faith unless you're very intentional about it. Because there's not going to be a lot of people who will help you grow your faith unless you take time to find a Christian organization. Yes. So, like, any, any school, I think, will probably have Christian organizations. Mm -hmm. 
It's just about finding the right ones and the appropriate ones for you, and if you want to join one or not. So like we're both part of, Sam and I are part of the, the largest Christian organization on campus, which is called InterVarsity Christian Fellowship, which is present in a lot of different campuses, but there's also a lot of smaller Christian groups with maybe like 30 or 40, maybe 50 people, whereas ours is about 150 or so, which is still pretty small for a campus of 6,000 people, but it's kind of about just finding like the right community for you and then learning how to invite others into that community and like welcoming them. It's definitely not the same experience um, at William Mary in comparison to like a Christian school, but if you're intentional about your faith, um, there are for sure ways that you can grow and, and get involved with, with people who share the same um, intention as you. And that's the thing where coming from China I think is kind of a challenge because in China you're used to like not making a big deal about your faith and just hanging out with people who you know are Christians and talking about faith with them. But even though it's a non-Christian college, you still have the opportunity to be very public about your faith and you can talk about it with people. Even though you don't have to convert them day one, you can still like show them that you're a Christian and that you care. Like one, that's one of my main goals and one of our main goals is kind of just showing people that, hey, Christians do care. Even though a lot of times American media portrays as people who don't care, Christians still care a lot. And it's just learning that even though maybe you spent time in China or spent time overseas, like going to America, you have the opportunity to express your faith in a way that you probably haven't had before. So just being able to express it and just being more bold about it is the main challenge, I feel like, that most people encounter is just being bold. Um, so William and Mary's attitude toward Christianity is like indifferent. Okay. Yeah. So what about the other faiths? Like as a public college, um, the college don't judge uh -huh. anything. They accept all faiths. I think that's like the, the official thing. But like, we definitely do have a Muslim presence on campus and other faiths as, as well, but they're a lot less in comparison to Christians. Christianity is definitely the majority there, but there are Muslim groups, there are other like Jewish groups, like there are yes. other non-Christian groups on campus that are also faith-based groups. And the school does make an opportunity for each of those groups to have their own place or like their own mm -hmm. opportunity to gather. They don't discriminate between any group. But they might take a little bit more steps to help like maybe smaller groups have more opportunity, like maybe like some smaller Muslim groups because of the minority. The school might try to help them maybe a little bit more like give them like priority of some certain spaces because they're small and help them expand more. But there's no persecution or anything with regards to any group there. So, how did you find the fellowship or church that is right for you? Maybe like, what was your criteria and what qualities did you look for? Um, I didn't actually go in with any criteria. I, w I was like, oh, I'm, I'm going to check this out, see, see what they're doing, see how I feel about them. And, and um, before I joined, I officially joined this Christian fellowship, I ended up checking out like maybe three or four other ones. Um, I chose this one because um, it made me feel more at home and more connected with the people that I'm in. And so yeah, it's just, I, it's hard to explain like why I chose this one, but it's just, to put it generally, it's just that I like the vibe and the atmosphere of this one. It's not that the other ones aren't, aren't good, they're very good. They're all pretty good. It's just, you know, finding the ones that suits you. So with regards to churches, 
we were kind of overwhelmed with options of churches in Williamsburg. There's a lot of options where William & Mary is. And of course, each school is different. But for me, I'm coming from a place where in China we had one church we could go to, like the local public church. So like going back to America where they have like the Methodist church or the Catholic church or different, like the Baptist church, like the Presbyterian church, a lot of those don't mean, like the words don't mean anything to me because I've never been to churches like that growing up. So the way we found our church was through people from our Christian fellowship that we ended up joining and people actually were going there and we had ways to get there and they had good biblical teaching because not every church has good biblical teaching. So I think a lot of times with finding a church specifically, it's finding one that you feel like is God's right calling for you. Because you might have a certain set of criteria like I did for churches and one of those was like good lively worship because I'm a big fan of worship. But the church we're currently going to doesn't have a very active worship scene and it's not the most active worship. But I feel like I, I'm willing to let that go because I feel like the overall church biblical teaching is something that encourages me and helps me grow. Whereas maybe the worship part, I don't feel as encouraged by, but I still feel like it's a church that is not what I want to do, it's what God has designed for me to do, if that makes sense. So I think a lot of times you have to approach churches and Christian fellowships with like open hands and yes. try to do it with minimal expectations and have like maybe a set of ground rules. Like it has to have good biblical teaching, it has to have good community, it doesn't discriminate, like different things like that that you can find belonging in. And you also want to be able to keep on going to that church continually and not dread going there. So I think there's different things like that you can set up for yourself. And each person is different. But just finding different goals that you want to have from going to the church and be willing to adjust those goals if need be if you feel like God is telling you to adjust those goals differently. So I heard that you guys are preparing to be small group leaders. And so what are, what are some of the responsibilities in and why did you choose to take on this responsibility? So for me, uh, I originally was not planning to be a small group leader because I feel like it was too much time. Like it's, it's a lot of time. But the head of our fellowship university actually approached me and said he felt like I'd be a really good candidate for a small group leader. And both my brothers have been small group leaders before. So I talked to them and they said that's actually not too stressful. It's just living life with freshmen I'm a freshman, living life with freshman people. So like for me, I feel like being a small group leader, one thing that's very important for me is just understand that I can live life with people and like providing with a community that I was provided with when I first arrived to school as well. Mm -hmm. It's like wanting to help other people grow is like a desire that I have that helped encourage me to be a small group leader. Yeah. For me, I wasn't planning to be a small group leader either uh, until Stephen approached me. I was like, this is a lot of work. I'm an introvert. I don't, I, I don't want to say I don't enjoy spending time with people. It's just not that easy for me. So I was like, oh, uh, maybe not. And until that worship night, Stephen was sitting right next to me and, and, and he's saying, oh, we could be a good team together. And I was like, okay, the deadline is tomorrow. What do I do? Classic Stephen moment, the day before the deadline. So yeah, uh, long story short, I applied uh, two days later and I, and, and I got it. I sort of chose to, to do this because uh, I was praying, I was thinking about it, and I thought um, it's going to be a very good experience. Uh, it's definitely going to be hard, um, 
but it's going to be rewarding. And for me as an introvert, if I don't like put myself out there with the responsibility and the structure of, of like small group, I'm just going to take a step back and just not do anything. And I think a lot of it requires a certain aspect of faith. Like I have no idea who my small group members will be next year. I don't yeah. know. But you have to kind of trust that God has led you to this position, even if it's not a small group, no matter where you are, and just understanding that you're here for a reason, we're small group leaders for a reason, even though six months ago, we would have no idea we were going to be small group leaders, but like God's helped us grow and he's going to provide us with the strength because we're doing stuff in a direction that he intends. So like he's on our side and he's wanting to help us. And like that can be a comfort, like, and that can help motivate you sometimes and give you confidence. Like you're doing like the right thing. Like God's helping you out here. Like by being a small group leader. So. Having discussed your faith to some extent here, what do you think your faith gives you that nothing else can, and how does it help you through college? I feel like for me, it, it provides, it's kind of like an overall cover for a lot of anxieties and worries. Like, because having faith to the point that I have is like, I know there's someone who understands. And I know someone who understands what it's like to go from overseas back home. And it's like, there's someone else on my team. Like, from like a basketball analogy, it's like you have a coach who is for you and they're trying to help you. They're not trying to hurt you. Like, and it's knowing that, like, no matter what happens, like, there is someone behind who will keep me up and who, like, help, help support me even if I fall down. And, like, it's kind of like a comfort and it helps me not slip into, like, too much anxiety or depression because... It can help you know, like, hey, like, even though things seem really bad, like, you're still moving upwards, like, and God is still helping you out. So I think my faith has really helped me to stay on my feet and maintain, stay encouraged throughout my time at college because it can be pretty stressful and it can be a lot. And, like, it can be really easy to be overwhelmed by just the next assignment or the next friend hangout. Like, for me, knowing that there's, like, a bigger goal than just me, it can help provide me with confidence and also help relieve some pressure from everything. Yeah, I feel that as well. I'm, I'm a person who really likes to keep things in control. I, I like knowing what I'm going to do next, what's going to happen next, that I'm, I'm just going to be okay. But if you've lived life just a little bit, you know that's not, not exactly what's going to happen. And for me, it is very, very stressful, like a lot, a lot to me, that, um, that someone is in control, that, you know, however bad it seems now, it's, it's going it, to... Um, basically just like I can't imagine my life without faith I think that's so like it has become and such mm -hmm. an integral part of my life that I can't just imagine myself not not being a Christian. Mm -hmm. So um, what are your favorite and least favorite parts about William and Mary? Um, least favorite part first. I'm not a fan of the food or the dining halls. Um, uh, we are a public school, so that uh, which means uh, a lot of their a lot of the college's money don't go into facilities like food and dorms things like that. So which means we our dining service is not really good. Um, we have we have we do have a lot of options, but not. But like a lot of their options, well, personally as an international person, um, 
those options doesn't really agree with me. So I have to like make do with whatever they, they have or whatever I can make myself. That is the biggest thing for me. I feel like for me, my least favorite part is a little bit more abstract. Yeah, the food's not the best, but I feel like for me, it wouldn't matter how good the food was. I'd still have to eat it anyway. Like, yeah, it would be a little bit more enjoyable. I would love more options, but I, I've always grown up like eating whatever's placed in front of me because I like American food and Chinese food, so I'm not a very picky eater. I have to eat it. So for me, the thing I don't like the most is probably there's kind of a stress culture at William and Mary, and I think a lot of it is because people are used to being the best in their class mm -hmm. and then going to William and Mary and expecting to still be the best in their class. Whereas me, I'm homeschooled, I'm the only person in my class. So I'm the best and the worst at the same time. So like, and even in my online school, I was never the best. I was kind of just in the middle, like I did my own thing. So like, I've kind of been able to observe a lot of times people get really stressed and worked up about small things that in reality, I don't feel like matter as much as they should. And obviously I'm biased, but I think it's kind of funny sometimes, and I, I like to joke around with people, like how like little details will make a big deal to people, like, oh, maybe their class went five minutes extra. And they're like, oh, I'm, my day is ruined. My professor went five minutes longer, now I'm really tired and I'm mad. And like they let that five minutes impact like their entire day because they have this sense of like stress and I have to do well and I'm not doing well because everyone else seems to be doing better than me. But in reality, even though it seems like everyone's doing better than you, they're not. So there's a sense of like a stress culture where you have to be the best person there. And kind of most people have that. So I've tried to find friends who don't really care like, like I do. But it's kind of hard to find the balance because either people don't care at all and they spend all their time partying and drinking and I don't want to do that. Or people care too much and they spend all their time at, like in their dorm, like they don't go to any events, they just stress out about school and get really worked up about that. So it's kind of like, I think it's really hard to find that balance at William & Mary. Like you either do too much or you don't do enough. It's really hard to find the balance and that kind of is my least favorite part of it. But I would say my favorite part is actually the people I've met there, which sounds kind of contradictory to the stress culture, but the people I've met, like even though sometimes certain people do get very stressed out, they're still very welcoming. And the people I've gotten to know are still, because in college, everyone's new when you come into college. So for me, coming from China to America, no one really cares that I'm different in a way like they're, they're willing to welcome me. Like they recognize that, oh yeah, he's, he's the guy from China, but they, like, oh, I'm the guy from Washington or I'm the guy from Tennessee. Like they're from all over the place. So they're willing to accept that and they're all willing to be more open and more extroverted and welcome people into the school. So I really like that. I've been able to find a lot of friends and I have a, a great yeah. roommate, so that's been nice too. <laughs> I would say the people is definitely a favorite part as well. Like people from Atlanta are pretty diverse. They have their own interests and like like I've talked to multiple people, uh, to a lot of people who are very passionate about their interests. Like they could talk to me for like a video game so for like an hour or anything from like Jane Austen to like J.R.R. Tolkien or like other stuff. Like they're really into what what they're interested in. Um, even though I I might not be with my interests or their interests, it is very, very special when you know people really believe in something and and they put their efforts in, into them. Mm. Yeah. What's the most rewarding part of college life so far, and what was the most challenging? 
uh, most rewarding part for sure the people for sure the people um, I've had we've had met a lot of great friends and uh, Christians and non-Christians as well whom we I think he, he, you spend way more time with them than, than, than I do but all the same the people are, are just great they're welcoming they're kind um, they have their own quirks their, their own interests but yeah, they're great people that's the short version. I feel like for me the most rewarding part is seeing the growth I've had because that's part of college is you don't just learn about education, you learn about yourself because you're spending probably your like 18 through 24 or like 19 through 23 like that age in college and that's a really vital learning period. So like just seeing myself grow in like either like maturity or like self-control or like just having a schedule like it's really a good stepping stone to help prepare you for living by yourself as an adult like I've had to force myself to be like okay you have a class at nine tomorrow and you have to go to bed early to get to that class so how are you going to do that and a lot of times maybe I didn't go to bed early I went to bed at 3 a.m. and I woke up really tired and I'm like well now you know now you're learning like whereas and you can afford to, to do that in college, but when life starts after college, like you can't afford to like show and work late to work every day for like a week. Like your boss never yeah. allowed that. So like it's kind of an educational moment that I feel like is most rewarding is seeing like, oh, second semester I had a much better sleep schedule most of the time than first semester. It's like you see like that change that you have and it's very, very obvious. Yeah. I think the most stressful thing for me is like interacting with people and also the fact that you're on your own. Um, whatever you do, there's no one there to like, oh, we're, we're, we're going to go to the bank together. I'm going to figure this out for you. You, you, you have to like make sure um, like every aspect, like at least most aspects of, of your life, you have to like take control for yourself, like going to the bank, uh, setting up your phone, um, insurances, things like this, tuition classes, and you grow a lot from it. Yeah, I feel like for me the most challenging is just the options I have. Like I was homeschooled, I did online school, I lived in a relatively smaller town in China. So like I had maybe three or four friends like who I was really close with. And like, if, if they say, let's hang out, you wanna make the opportunity to hang out with them every single time they have time, because they didn't always have time. But in college, I have like four different friend groups that all wanna hang out at the same time. And you have to choose like, which one do I choose? And that's that's my fault. Like I'm an extroverted guy. That's kind of on me. But like it's still like this, the choices you have between like you have like a friend group A, friend group B. You have a book you want to read. You have a TV show you want to watch. You have homework you want to do. You have classes you want to study for. You like you want to play basketball. You have sports you want to do. You want to go walk around campus. And like ten seconds, I just said like ten different things that I would love to do, but I've never had time like to fully do every single one of those. Because so it's, it's kind of stressful for me, I feel like is just figuring out, like Samuel said, prioritizing and figuring out what you want to do most. Because it's not about finding the good thing to do, it's about finding the best thing to do. Because you're gonna have like 20 good things you can do in a week, but maybe you can only do 10 of them. So you want to find the best thing that's most rewarding for you and try to find that. Thank you guys for sharing. I feel like through your descriptions I can catch I can really better grasp the feel of William and Mary much better than like, reading a description. Um, so, anything you're particularly looking for in your sophomore year? Small groups. Small groups? Small group leading. Um, 
we have no idea how it's gonna look like. We just talked about this, we made our plans um, as much as we could, not knowing how many people are gonna show up in our small group, not knowing who they are. Honestly, we don't know a lot, so we're gonna have to work whatever we're given. I feel like for me, this answer is not very expected. It's my dorm room. <laughs> because we had a very, a pretty small dorm room first, first year, and we made a very good use of space with it. Like, it's, it's very small. But we're going to have a much bigger dorm room next year, and I'm, I'm excited to see what we can do with it and how much stuff we can fit in it, and it still looks nice and comfortable. Like, I'm really excited to see that because I like that kind of design. So okay. I've already been talking to Samuel, and he's been like, I can't think of this. Like, it's too far in the future. <laughs> it's like six weeks later, but I still, I'm, I'm excited. Like, so you mentioned dorm room just now, and you guys seem to get along quite well. Yeah, we do. So do you have um, any tips for building a good roommate relationship? And especially, you mentioned that you have very different schedules. How do you coexist peaceably? <laughs> <laughs> I think the most important thing is just be honest, uh, say what you mean and what you say. And if you have a problem, like be honest about it and talk about it. And I, I feel like just understanding that you're in college for four years, not a month. Because the first week of college feel like a summer camp. Like this is really fun, it's great, it's going to be over by next Monday. It's not, it's, you're going to be there for four years. So it's understanding that when you look at the longer term, smaller things don't seem as big a deal. Like, so like with Lindsay Samuel, like let's say maybe I leave my shoes on the carpet. Like, it's understanding that you're, we're together for a year at least. Like, shoes on the carpet one time won't be a big deal. Just say, hey, can you move your shoes? Like, we're very direct, we're very honest about it. Like, you have to be willing to talk to someone about it so that doesn't build up to like, oh, he constantly leaves his shoes on the rug. I'm mad at him now. And being more like honest and direct about it. But another thing that people don't think about is your roommate doesn't have to be your best friend. Like, I have no idea if I have a best friend at college. I just don't know. But you don't have to get along with your roommate. You don't have to be a best friend all the time. So a lot of times people enter college with an expectation that their roommate's going to be their best friend. They can share everything with them. And a lot of times that's not met. Thankfully, we, we've been able to develop that connection, but not everyone is going to be like us, and that's okay. Just understanding that try to lower your expectations for what a roommate brings to you. Like, I had no idea what to expect when I encountered Samuel. Yeah, yeah. Like, I'm like, okay, like he's introverted, I'm not. He goes to bed early, I don't. He likes warm rooms, I like cold rooms. Who knows what's gonna happen? But you kind of approach it not with like a, dang, I don't like this guy. Like, like he has all this things that I don't like, but you, you're more open-minded. Like, we don't really live life together outside the dorm a lot. Like we don't have a lot of the same like yeah. hobbies, like we don't eat food together all the time. But then like when you're back in the dorm at night, we have some good talks, like we're gonna be small group leaders next year. So it's kind of understanding that you have to find the balance between being a good friend, but being willing to not be best friends, if that makes mm -hmm. sense. True. Um, and also sleep schedules. I go to bed like about 11, I wake up about eight or 8.30, uh, Steven, Way later. I go to bed at like 2 and I wake up at like 10. <laughs> but like, so. uh, Steven is more extroverted, so like, so um, the majority of the time he is awake, he's outside of the room. And we both sleep pretty deep. So like, after I'm asleep, I, I don't know when he comes back and he doesn't know when I wake up. And so yeah, that's the gist of it. I'm gonna come back to my room after like playing basketball until 11 p.m. because that's when the gym closes. 
and Samuel will be asleep. Like, okay, and I'll wake up at like 10 and he'll be gone. So it's like, like you usually don't know. And like, so it's kind of, it depends on the roommates. Like it works pretty well, but like he can sleep with like a light on and I'm just so tired in the morning that I just sleep through whatever noise he makes. <laughs> so it works out pretty well. Okay, so um, what are some things you wish you knew before going to college? I feel like for me, it's that you don't have to have everything figured out in the first week. Yes. You, you're in college for four years. Four years is a long time. You have a lot of time to figure things out. Like, I expected to get to college and be like, I have all my classes planned, I have all my friends, I have all my schedule, I'm going to be fine, like, in the first month, and I didn't. And that's okay. Like, so I think it's knowing that you have a lot of flexibility and you're going to change a lot as a person as you go on throughout college. So don't get too stressed when things don't seem to go your way because, like, it's going to work out. It's just, it takes time and it doesn't, you can't, like, no one can plan out their entire college life and then follow that plan exactly. Yeah. Like, no matter how much of a planner you are, like, Sam and I are pretty big planners, you just don't know. So, and, that, and that's okay. You don't have to know everything. Um, I think before I went to college, I always, you know, thought of college as this oh, big thing that, you know, is, like, coming. It's, like, impending. And honestly, I was pretty stressed out. And I feel like right now, looking at college, it's not, it's, it's not one big thing, it's a million smaller things that you get to tackle like one at a time. And if you tackle enough problems, enough smaller problems, you get to survive college. <laughs> yeah. And I think one thing that's important to remember that few people think about is everyone else in college has the same mm. stress entering college that you probably do. Like everyone, it's new for everyone. There's no one here who is like, oh, day one in college, I know what I'm gonna do and I'm gonna get it done. Like, everyone is like, oh, this is new. All my friends are new, my classes are new, professors are new. Like, so as you go throughout college, like, it seems like everyone else has it figured out, but they don't. So don't feel like you're getting swept up and like you're getting overwhelmed because everyone else has it like better than you because they don't. Like, I have a lot of friends that Samuel knows and every one of them has talked with me or has talked to each other. And like we, in a friend group, we've heard about them being stressed. Or everyone has their worries. Everyone has their fears. Like, they're all people. They all have their emotions. So then entering into college, like, there's a lot of people who are going to be feeling the same thing that you do. So you're not, you're not alone in feeling stressed or feeling anxious. Like, there's a lot of people who feel that way as well. So it can help a lot, like, help you relax and help you feel a little bit less stressed when you know that anyone can possibly be your friend or anyone can possibly understand and you're not alone in entering into college and that stress that you have. Yeah, thank you guys for your very thoughtful responses. I feel like um, since I'm going to college soon and I feel like just hearing all of you share about this really helps me feel less stressed about it. It helps me know more about what to expect or how to think about so that was the last question and do you want to each leave a question for perhaps next college student interview? If you could bring one more thing from your house to college, what would you bring? Uh, for me, if you had to let go 
or say goodbye to one aspect of your life that you have now, like in college, what would you say goodbye to? For example, like maybe you're a really big fan of like photography, you have a lot of friends, you have a nice dorm, like if you had to say goodbye to one of those, which one would you choose to say goodbye to? So, because I feel like in college you don't get to keep everything with you as you go along. And one thing a lot of people struggle with, which we haven't encountered yet, is when you leave college, you lose a lot of your friends that you had in college. You don't have that community that you have in college anymore when you go enter into the world. So you have, you have to lose not just one thing, but a lot of things. Or like we had to lose our dorm, and our next year dorm has not as good a community as us. Or I have too many friends, and I have to spend less time with some friends, like spend less time with some friends that I just don't have time to spend time with every single friend. So like you have to learn to say no to things. So I feel like you can kind of ask people that just with the idea of saying no to something. Look forward to hearing the answers. Yes. So thank you, Stephen and Samuel, for sharing your thoughts and experiences. And uh, thank you, listener, for tuning into Thought Chat. <laughs>